HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Brianna Kurtz, host of Eat Your Words. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Heritage Radio Network. You are listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here. uh, It's a rainy day here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we are going to be talking with some folks from the Humane Society of the United States. Now, um, normally, when I think of the Humane Society, I, I've, I've thought about, you know, animal rescue, wildlife protection. Um, livestock is not what usually comes to mind. So I was really excited to hear about a new initiative that they're undertaking, looking to set up agricultural councils in states throughout the U.S. Um, to start talking a little bit more about how we think about animal welfare and animal rights when we're talking about livestock. And we're joined on the line today by Eric Swafford. Eric is the Director of Rural Development of Outreach for the Humane Society of the United States. He's a sixth-generation beef cattle farmer. Um, He's joining us from Tennessee. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's uh, glad to be here. And we are also joined today by Adam Price. Adam is um, a new member of the Agricultural Council for Oklahoma. And when he's not uh, serving in that role, he's on the board of directors for the Oklahoma Food Cooperative um, and has been a longtime advocate um, looking at bringing consumers better access to regionally produced goods. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. So I, I wanted to kind of kick things off by, by getting a little better sense from, from you guys um, about kind of the lay of the land as it relates to Oklahoma. But before we jump into that, Eric, I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of a sense of what the impetus for this initiative was, why um, the Humane Society felt it was important to set up these agricultural councils, and how far along are you in your goal to hit all 50 states? Well, first of all, I'll, uh, I'll answer the last part of that first. Uh, as of today, we have uh, ag councils in eight states, 
and uh, Oklahoma being uh, actually the newest one, we're uh, we're very very excited about uh, about what we're going to be doing in in Oklahoma, and uh, kind of the, uh, the the thought process behind these uh, ag councils came up about three and a half years ago by HSUS, and that's uh, long before I, I came on board. I've been in my current position since um, since the spring of uh, of 2013. But uh, the, the thought process to, to form agricultural councils in the different states, um, of course, the, the Humane Society of the United States, going back to its very foundation and its very beginning, have, uh, have its roots in, uh, in animal agriculture. The, the first major initiative that HSUS actually did was pass the Humane Slaughter Act that, uh, of course, is still intact in and, and uh, still uh, under uh, enforcement today. But the, the thought process was, to uh, to have people on the ground who knows better uh, about the way we should be uh, treating our livestock and and the way agriculture should look in uh, in different parts of the country than farmers, ranchers, and agriculturalists like uh, like Adam Price, um, you know, around the country and and in those states. So we we decided to uh, to form these ag councils to do a couple of different things with HSUS, and the, the first thing is. To advise our state directors on uh, on agricultural policy, uh, particularly a- uh, animal agriculture policy, in uh, in those states, and also to serve as as outreach agents to uh, to inform people and uh, and to make people aware of agricultural issues as uh, as they come up in their state, and um, and also they they work to uh, to promote and open markets for humane sustainable agriculture. You know, in this country, we're uh, we're looking at in lots of places almost food deserts, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for independent farmers and ranchers to stay in business and to be economically viable and and do things the the right way, and uh, and for people to be able to to buy local products and and local food, and and we all know that there's a, there is a market and there is a demand. We just have to educate people about it and and promote it. As uh, just as as Adam is doing with Oklahoma Food Cooperative, but we have to make people aware that there are local, humane, sustainable food products. Those products are healthy, and when we uh, when we encourage people to, to buy locally and and we support humane, sustainable agriculture, what we know is that type of agriculture is good for the animal. It's good for the farmer. It's good for local economies. It's good for the consumer. And it's good for the environment. Things like that are uh, are just good for Oklahoma and. Humane Society of the United States is on the front line building ag- agricultural councils and and uh, and working with farmers and ranchers that raise livestock in a humane and sustainable manner across this country to, to do just that. So I think what's interesting, you know, Oklahoma joining the eight states that you have, the other states that are currently on board, Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina, and Ohio. I think it's exciting to see that the middle of the country, um, where a lot of the food that's produced, in particular a lot of the livestock in this country is raised, we're, we're at the top of the list for, for this initiative. Looking specifically at Oklahoma, I was taking you know a little peek from the most uh, recent ag census, and it looks like for kind of cattle and calf production, Oklahoma is fifth in the nation. Hogs and pigs, uh, eighth in the nation, and then thirteenth um, for broilers and other kind of meat chickens. So definitely kind of up there with regards to the the volume of uh, livestock in, in the country. Obviously, also the area known for you know wheat, hay, and um, alfalfa production. 
Adam, I'm wondering if you can give us a little sense on the ground as to, you know, what your background is with the food co-op and why you felt um, joining the council was the right move for you and what kind of voice you hope to bring to the to the council. Well, effectively, what uh what I the first the first that I had heard about the state Ag, Ag, agricultural councils was just a couple of months ago when I uh, originally met Eric at a meeting in Tulsa where he was the presenter and he was outlining what the uh, the Humane Society was hoping to do in terms of uh, with with the ag councils and in terms of benefits to uh, to local local small to mid scale sustainable farmers and humane farmers um, really what i was struck by was how much overlap there really was in terms of what the humane society wanted to do and what the focus of my working life over the past over the past few years has been with the oklahoma food cooperative um, you know the core values of the oklahoma food cooperative are environmental sustainability social justice and economic viability and those overlapped so much with yeah, in 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 terms of trying to to support and create a marketplace for the products of a sustain, sustainable, just, and humane agricultural system, and that those, those objectives really, really mirrored exactly what the Humane Society was was wanting to do as well. So, you know, the decision to 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 jump on board and and become a become a member of this Ag- agricultural council in Oklahoma was really kind of a no brainer. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So you're joined by some other. So some other folks on the council, um, former Senator Paul, um, hi, I'm not sure how, how do you pronounce his last name? Mugi? Maggie. 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 Okay. Thank you. Um, you know, who, who served, um, you know, for 12 years in the Oklahoma state Senate, um, Harlan, who, um, is, you know, a lawyer who's focused, um, a lot on agricultural issues as it relates to, you know, air and water pollution, eminent domain contracts, compliance, and then um, Lauren and her husband, who run uh, Circle M, which is a sustainable managed cow-calf um, and grass-fed cattle operation. So it's interesting you have quite a diversity on the council there. Is that similar um, to kind of the, the model for, for councils, Eric, in other parts of the country? Oh, a- absolutely. You know, we, um, we try to build these councils with, uh, with diversity of, of the members, you know, because uh, obviously with diversity comes strength. You know, we, uh, we do have people that, that look at these agricultural issues and come at them from different sides, but uh, obviously people that, uh, that align with us on their, their values and their goals for, uh, for agriculture and, and for, uh, for the future of agri- agriculture in Oklahoma, just as the folks do in, in Nebraska, Iowa, Colorado, and, and our other states. But, uh, yeah, we, we actually look for diversity. We, we look for uh, different, different uh, strengths, and, and people bring, bring a little different viewpoints to the table. You know, it's, um, it's kind of funny. I'm, a, uh, I'm an, an East Tennessee cattle farmer, as, as you mentioned uh, in the, at the beginning. You know, I've been, my family's been uh, running cows on the exact same piece of ground for six generations, and, and my boss, our vice president over uh, all of outreach and engagement that started the Rural Development Outreach Program is a hog farmer from Missouri. So, you know, uh, we, we kind of laugh. His, um, his background's in the, in the hog business, and, and mine's in the cattle business. He's from Missouri. I'm from, from Tennessee, and, and, uh, and we, we work together very, very, very closely and, uh, and work together very well. And, and yes, it, uh, it is what we look for in, uh, with, uh, with, 
with some diversity and and for folks to come at this um, with the same goals from sometimes from different angles and uh, and offer a different viewpoint and a, and a little different perspective to to obviously advise us in the the most effective way possible and I'll I'll be honest I uh, I just cannot get over how excited I am about the quality of uh, of the people that we've got to uh, to start our council in Oklahoma that that we've just launched these are. These are just fantastic, phenomenal individuals that uh, every time I get to, to sit down with any of them or talk on the phone or, or even some of our uh, email conversations, I'm just blown away with, with how, much, um, how much depth of knowledge they have when it, in terms of agriculture and our, our food system and, and the direction that we're, we're going and the direction we need to go to, uh, to promote humane, sustainable farming in, in Oklahoma. Well, so I want to talk a little bit, um, you know, where we can more specifically about um, where the Humane Society kind of sets benchmarks and, and how it's working to kind of educate itself with regards to different livestock um, procedures. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, maybe it would help to focus things um, you know, around a particular type of livestock. I'm not really sure, but one of the things that I thought was exciting about your mandate is you're looking to be a resource for farmers in transition. And what, what, I'm, what I'm hoping that means is that, you know, you're looking to work with producers all along the spectrum, making steps towards, you know, an increase in animal welfare. So often I feel like for consumers, it's really confusing because you, you're often set up with like two extremes on, on one extreme you know, you're looking at kind of large, uh, you know, confined animal feeding operations where, um, you know, you've seen like the videos online of animals being kind of kicked and abused and, and crated with no space and, you know, living in kind of dirty, awful environments. And, you know, that's offered up as one ag model. And then on the other end, you have, you know, a completely pasture-based organic system um, that's, you know, wide open rolling hills and, and smiling cows. And that's on the other end of the spectrum. And obviously, I think everyone on the, the call knows that there's things that fall all along that spectrum. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how, you know, you decide to focus your work. Is it around particular livestock? Is it specific issues that you're targeting? I mean, how do you kind of well, start? Well, well for I, I think I've got uh, I think I've got where you, where you want to go with this and and uh, and let me let me back up and and move forward a little bit uh, <laughs> oh. along that scale. First of all, backing we up and moving forward. In, in a, I like that <laughs> in a in a broad scope and a broad spectrum when it comes to uh, to livestock and and livestock production and and how we want to uh, to open markets and transition and that's everything from holding up consumer meetings where we where we literally teach people about labeling issues where we teach people how to, to know their food by knowing their farmer and, and where they can buy humane, sustainable products, to, uh, to holding uh, true cost of food events where we, we uh, educate people on the, the true cost of food and, uh, and how some of these uh, industrialized models of agriculture are, uh, are propped up through government subsidies and, and that sort of thing. But we also work to educate farmers and ranchers who want to transition Away from a, an industrialized model to a, a more sustainable, humane model of, of agriculture, and uh, and we do this by by edu- holding education seminars across the country. We work very closely with American Grass Fed Association to uh, to to certify farmers to prom- to uh, connect those people that would like to be grass fed or gra- 
to uh, connect with them to show them how they can uh, become economically viable and how they can be profitable by running cattle, uh, sheep, hogs, etc. in that manner. We also work very closely with Certified Humane, with uh, with their certification program, with Global Animal Partnership, or the, the GAP uh, program that... Uh, uh, sells branded pro- products in uh, in several different uh, stores and and uh, Whole Foods. Just for an example, we uh, we work to connect farmers and ranchers with those uh, those certifiers, among others. We work to educate them on how they can be profitable and economically viable, and uh, and at the same time promote higher animal welfare in, in an environmentally sensitive and sustainable manner. So we uh, we do that as well. We. Um, but as far as the you said the, the spectrum, everything from from one end to, to the other, there are four principles that uh, that the Humane Society of the, of the United States is just absolutely against. Just uh, just tell it like it is. We don't apologize for it. We think there are four things in uh, in production agriculture, livestock agriculture, obviously, or animal agriculture is uh, what I'm speaking of. There are four things that we're just against. We're against tail docking or the cutting off of the, the tails of dairy cows. We're against gestation crates for uh, for sows. Again, gestation crates. It's not uh, not to speak of a, of a farrowing crate, but a, a gestation crate. We're against. We're against barren battery cages for uh, for hens, and we're against field crates. Those four things we think are, are the most egregious practices, and we think they're just uh, just simply wrong, and, uh, and some things you just shouldn't do. At the same time, the uh, United Egg Producers Association has has come out in support of um, of eliminating barren battery cages. Uh, bill crates are almost a, a thing of the of the past through uh, through education and and work. Um, you know, the tail docking of dairy cows. Almost every veterinary medical association or uh, or independent veterinarian that you can find will say that is a uh, a bad practice and one that, that should be stopped. And, uh, and gestation crates, as Temple Grandin, that's one of the most uh, world-renowned and, and well-known uh, behaviorists when it comes to livestock, and one of the uh, the foremost experts when it comes to animal welfare. I, I, I like a quote of hers when uh, dealing when talking about gestation crates. It says, "You know, it, it'd be like sitting in a middle seat in uh, in coach on an airplane your entire life." We know we can just do better than that, and and Iowa State has done some studies. Um, Iowa State probably having uh, one of the best swine research units in uh, in the country, if not the world, has uh, has done some research and shown that group housing is actually uh, more economically viable than gestation crates anyway. So not only would it uh, would it do a better job for the animal, uh, you know, a, a, probably a better lifestyle for the farmer, and uh, and more environmentally sensitive, and and. Uh, to uh, to to raise animals in a different in a, in a different manner, but also it's uh, more financially advantageous. So, yeah, no. So again, that uh, that study was done by Iowa State. So that kind of kind of tells you you know where we are, and and again, we work to, to transition to higher animal welfare standards, and then and uh, work to promote uh, humane, sustainable farming and and open markets, and and uh, and work to encourage policymakers to to uh, support policies that'll do the same thing. It's interesting. You kind of hit. All of the the kind of contentious areas that I had in my list here, except for one, which is castration. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your organization's um, stance on, on castration and how you um, communicate that both to consumer-facing groups and to farmers. 
Sure. Well, first of all, um, castration, I, I said many times, if you, uh, if you line up a group of veterinarians, you will get a, a variety of answers. You know, first of all, I, I will say that there's, uh, there's several that, that, uh, that go in, in different routes. So, several of the third-party verifiers have, uh, have different means, even that they, well, not third-party verifiers for a humane certification, mm-hmm. speaking of, have, uh, have slightly, different, um, slightly different ideas on the way that, uh, that they think it should be done. But, you know, um, when it comes to castration, we don't have a, a, a hard, uh, hard-line policy. On uh, on that, it is an issue that we're working on with uh, with several animal welfare experts. It's one that we've uh, we're looking at in terms of research, one that we're talking about with our ag councils. But I think everyone would agree that uh, that the best way to uh, to deal with castration is at a a very early age, and uh, and to to get that done, or or to use. Uh, Use some kind of uh, of anesthetic, whether it's uh, it's topical or you know, et cetera. But it, but again, that is a um, an area that is is very difficult because most uh, most veterinarians see that a, a little differently and uh, and recommend different things. And you know, but uh, but again, most uh, most would agree that it's it's uh, best to be done at a, at a very very early age. But but again, um, you know, we we look to the the experts and. Uh, on, on these issues and look to our ag council members to, to advise us. And, you know, I, I wish there was, uh, I wish there was something that, that there were hardcore facts to say, you know, this is absolutely the best, no question. This is the, the most, uh, the highest animal welfare way to, uh, to address this. And, but you know, the, uh, the fact is that today it, it's an issue that, that, uh, lots of folks are still working on. Yeah, no. You know, and, uh, and, and we're one of them that's, uh, that's still working on this. And it, but again, I think everyone would agree that uh, it's best to be done at an early age or, or with um, with some kind of a uh, pain relief. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to kind of put you on the spot there. I think it's just one. Like, oh, absolutely not. No, <laughs> no, uh, no problem whatsoever. I, <laughs> well, I, I really, really appreciate this opportunity to, to be on here for Adam and I to speak to you. It's. Um, I feel like castration is one of those issues that. Um, you know, it brings to mind, uh, it, it's a very vivid kind of idea for people, but kind of the, the reason for it, the kind of management decisions, the timing of it, um, you know, it's like, I think, really good to bring out some of the kind of gray areas in that conversation and having, you know, myself, um, you know, castrated a number of piglets and, and been part of that process. Um, sure. I, I just I do think it's like one of those spaces that for for the public would be great to be hearing a little bit more from kind of the who, what, when, where, why of that decision. But we don't have to talk anymore about sure. castration today. Um, we are actually we're going to take just a quick break and we come back. Um, Adam, will be looking back to you to talk a little bit more about the scene in Oklahoma. So hang tight, folks. You're listening to the Farm Report and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reflex by Reflections.
Since 2001, Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. Hey, my name is Chris Kuzmi from Fermen About It. My favorite food is liquid bread, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> liquid bread. I think he means beer. Uh, Fermen About It, a great show on Monday nights if you're interested in the home brewing scene and all things fermented. Definitely check that out. But right now, you're listening to The Farm Report, and we are talking with some folks from the Humane Society of the United States about the new Oklahoma Agriculture Council. So... Adam, I wanted to touch base with you kind of in your seat as uh, at the Oklahoma Food Co-op. You know, recently I was uh, attending um, a panel discussion here in New York City talking about the future of meat. And uh, the panel was super interesting. It, you know, had, you know, everyone from kind of Peter Singer to, um, you know, the founder of our network here, Patrick Martins, who runs Heritage Foods USA. And in the midst of the panel, um, folks, there was like a a rash of animal rights um, activists who stood up throughout the space and um, kind of, you know, attempted kind of a takedown of what was, you know, proving to be a a pretty interesting conversation around kind of what we should think about when we're thinking about eating meat. And I'm wondering for folks who maybe haven't spent much time in Oklahoma, if you can give us a sense of how... How does the community there think about eating meat? Is there a, a moral imperative that comes up in those conversations? Is there much of a vegan or vegetarian movement? And then for folks who are eating meat, um, you know, what are the types of questions that you're getting at the co-op? Like, what is it that people are, like, wanting or asking for? Or are they not really asking for anything? I'm just, I'm curious, like, if you can kind of give us the temperature from from your perspective. Well, in terms of the, uh, the vegan and vegetarian question. Uh, I think there is a bit more of a move in that direction, particularly of people, I'm, I'm 34 years old, particularly of people my age that are concerned about um, the, the, the treatment of animals and in this country, particularly regarding uh, the treatment of animals through the industrial system and through the, through the confined, uh, confined feeding operations. Um, however, I mean, I can, speak, I can speak personally to that in regard to, I was actually five or six years ago, before I found the Oklahoma Food Cooperative, I was actually moving more that direction myself because of those same concerns. However, when, when I found, found out, you know, the, the sheer number of people that were, that were actually um, raising, food, raising food, both humanely and in a more healthy way for the animals and for the land, um, I realized that, that there was an alternative. And, and that's what we hope to provide with the with the Oklahoma Food Cooperative and I think with with you know with our our support of um, farmers that are trying to do things in a truly sustain sustainable and humane way 
And I think ultimately that's what people are most concerned about from, from what I can tell. Um, most of the so much of, of, of what we distribute through through our system in Oklahoma, through the Oklahoma Food Cooperative, is grass-fed, uh, grass-fed, humanely raised meat um, from animals that are, that, are, that are treated ethically and humanely throughout the throughout the course of their lives. And I think ultimately that's what people are are really wanting wanting more of. Um, there's been so much. There's been so much awareness raised over the past over the past five to ten years of really the reality of how we raise the 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 meat to support the standard American diet in this country, and people are looking for an alternative. And whether or not they choose to go to go a vegan or vegetarian route, or whether they seek out um, more localized options for for humanely raised meat and and meat without you know the the steroids and the hormones and the and the other and the antibiotics that are that are so prevalent in the industrial system i think that's what people are really really after yeah i think to me there's like something very interesting about um an animal welfare organization that uh, you know when you're talking about livestock you're talking about an animal who essentially its death is coming at our hands you know like we're from the moment that it's born, the entire purpose of its being is to be consumed for food. So there is a bit of, I think, kind of in, inherent tension to that idea. I think, um, you know, alternatively, if we're not eating livestock, then they essentially don't exist. You know, they're not, they, they might be a few of them in a zoo somewhere, but they don't exist in the wild. They're not right. pets that we have at home, you know, so... If, if you're going to be, th- I, I, I'm wondering maybe, um, Eric, you can talk a little bit about this. Like, how do you kind of reconcile that? Like, how do people kind of deal with that tension of like, ultimately, like we are creating an animal to kill it for consumption? I mean, I, I personally have like no issues in this area, but I know it's a question that comes up. Um, we get asked, we get asked a lot and I'm, you know, the Humane Society does so much work, um, with animals in all different types of areas. And I'm wondering how you make sense of livestock in particular. Does, does that, I don't know, that question's like a little bit meandering. but no, that's, that's, that's okay. Um, that's a question that I get um, more, as, more as a cattle farmer and so much as someone that has worked in the, in the livestock area of my, my whole professional life. Uh, I get, I answer that question a lot. And you know, that, that is true that uh, that animal is, is raised and uh, it's raised for uh, for food. You know that is that is absolutely true. And you know I uh, I like the way uh, my good friend and ag council member Kevin Fulton says. You know on my farm animals are going to have one bad day. You know <laughs> and uh, and the animals on on our farm in Pikeville, Tennessee are going to have one bad day. The same bad day that that it, that each of us are actually going to have. And, uh, and, and is that animal raised for food? Absolutely. That animal is uh, is raised, and we're going to consume that animal. But, but we're going to see to it that that animal has a quality of life that that means something. We're going to be, we think we're going to be uh, be good stewards of that of that animal, just like we're going to be good stewards of the land and and all those things that we're entrusted with. And uh, and you know that that's just that's just where it is. You know, we uh, with the humane society believes that we have been given dominion over these animals. And with that dominion comes a responsibility 
to, to see to it that, uh, that their welfare is taken care of. And, and just because we're going to consume that animal uh, and we're going to use that animal for, for food doesn't mean it's nothing more than a production unit and doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to see to it that, um, that its welfare is, is taken care of and that it, it is treated as a, the sentient being that it is. Yeah, that, and, and I think that to me, like looking at um, the website, you know, that, you know, your goal through the Humane Society is really to create a humane and sustainable world for all animals. Um, but then there's that second part that comes in, you know, that this will also benefit people. And I think, you know, to me, that right. that, that that says it very, very neatly. And like as a, as a mission for your organization, I think really allows you to pursue things that to my opinion, are a little bit more reality-based. I mean, I think about the fact that, you know, I, I, something like 9 billion, uh, you know, animals, livestock were, were consumed in the last year that, you know, a, a vegan agenda just kind of doesn't make sense. I, I feel personally, if, if you want to pursue um, humane treatment of animals, that, that putting your weight behind organizations that are, are moving that forward in the livestock arena is a smart place to invest. And so I want to thank you both so much for. Well, thank, for thank you so much for that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for that vote of conference. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it was, it was great to have you guys join us today. And I know if folks want to find out more, they can visit the website, uh, www.humanesociety.org. Uh, really appreciate having you both on. Thank you so, so much. much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the farm report. This, like all 35 of our weekly shows, is available for free uh, by visiting our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. If you like the show, you can also become a subscriber via iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. Get it delivered right to your smartphone every week. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're supported by our members and listeners like you. If you believe in our work, please visit the site, click that Donate tab, and become a member today. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>